0: Here we are, again, episode three, United PMA Podcast, brought to you by Cloak & Dagger Media. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm really excited about this episode. I've known this guest for a while now, growing up in the New Jersey music scene, seeing him in his uh, glory days with his old band, Losing Streak, to his current days in his band, Gloom, which I absolutely love. Uh, I talked to him about that. I don't know if it was on the episode or before we started hitting record, but his band is absolutely awesome. And in all honesty, my opinion, and, you know, I'm going to be biased to myself and say 99% of the time my opinions are correct. Uh, The best concert photographer out there right now. Um, Every single time he posts something new, uh, I'm always amazed, and I really aspire to be just as good as this guy one day, you know? And he, he he's just doing amazing work, that's all I could say. And it was great to get his perspective, since he's on both ends of the realm, being a musician that has toured, and also being a photographer that's touring on the regular. So it was really cool to get his perspective on mental health since he's very open about it and you know how it was different for him on the road with a band and then also how it's different on the road being a photographer and the different stress levels that are with it and you know it was really cool just diving in and getting to know this guy a little bit more than I actually did because I've known him for a few years now and I mentioned to him in the episode like you know I've known you forever but do I know you know you type of thing and it was really cool to dig deep with him and get to know him more so here it is episode three with Dieter Unrath check it out
1: Right, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, this episode of United PMA. I'm very excited to have Dieter Unrath here. Dieter, I got to admit to you, man, the first couple of years that I knew you, I was calling you Dieter. Like, <laughs> like, as if you were the one that was always on diet, yeah, but, you I, know, looking at your social media, you're not.
2: <laughs> no, and, like, I get that all the time because, you know, the spelling is, like, diet-er, but... uh yeah, yeah, it's, it's theater. The, I guess the I would be silent. I don't know. German okay. Language is kind of weird, but
1: <laughs> so uh, just kind of introduce the people, let them know uh, who you are. Obviously, I said your name already, but uh, what you do musically yeah. and uh, also
2: artistically. Okay. Um, well, my name's Theater, as you already said, and I'm 25 years old. I'm based out in New Jersey. Um, I play drums in a emo rock bands called Bloom and I also do a lot of photography mainly music photography um I'm on the road a lot I shoot for bands like Capstan uh Sweep On It Space Face amongst others and yeah that about sums it up
1: so uh what, what do you got lined up uh tour-wise, I guess I would say, uh, for the bands and also for the photography because I know you are on the road very often. Our listeners don't know that, but what do you have lined up uh, coming this year?
2: Um, So I'm actually back in college right now, so I'm taking a few months off from the touring thing, but Gloom is doing a five or six day tour at the end of April. We're touring the Northeast like Vermont and Boston and stuff, so I don't want to play drums on tour again. And then have some things like in the works for summer nothing official yet but then at the end of summer in september i'll be going to europe with capstan we'll be direct support the trash boat and i'm going to be taking photos for them so that'll be really cool it'll be my time uh europe.
1: so i was going to say is that your first time going to be in europe and you answered my yeah. question right away i've never left the country so that's awesome to be able to go canada? there and see some new places not yet man you know uh, no. uh, i not not canada yet i was supposed to go there uh I went out with Courage My Love for a week, a couple of years ago, and uh, instead of bringing me over, they decided, you know what, because I only had like one day left before uh, Charlie Martel came onto the tour, Um, instead of just having the hassle at the border, bringing American in with the Canadian. And then bring it right back. Exactly. uh, We just decided uh, I'll fly home that night, you know, so that's what I did, but... It, it's going to happen happens. eventually, man. It's going to happen eventually.
2: Oh yeah, it's it's so close. Those, those border crossings are always a uh, an ordeal with fans. It can you know either go really smoothly or you'll be there for like six hours and get sand for
1: an I was listening to uh, Lead Singer Syndrome yesterday, in Shane Told's podcast and um, yeah. an old episode of uh, Vinnie Carona from I'm the Avalanche the movie Life, and that's exactly what he was saying. You know, it could one one year they went there and they weren't allowed to bring any of their merch in. So they just went to yeah. the with no merch and then the next year like they don't they didn't even look. It's like, okay, go ahead. You know, it's a matter of who you get on what day and how they're feeling in all honesty. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh the the last tour we did with Silverstein, speaking of Shane, uh with Captain, we had like maybe like six or seven border crossings in because the tour gets kinda zigzagging in and out of Canada. Yeah. And some days, like, they just let us go through. Other days, they're asking us how much merchandise we had and the value. And they made us go in and start forums and stuff. And we never got taxed on it, thankfully. That's happened with, like, a few other fans i am gone in with. But, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. It's always a little different.
1: Exactly. So this show, as uh, you know, and some of my listeners will know at this point, because you're going to be the third episode when this gets aired, Uh, I wanted to bring you on because you've been, at least on Twitter, uh, this is when I follow you, you've been very open about um, mental health and how it affects you and what you go through. And uh, I kind of wanted to have the topic, as you know, of people on the road and how they deal with mental health on the road. So I guess could you shed some light to our listeners on, you know, what you go through on a daily basis, whether it's depression, anxiety, you know, right. and how you deal with that. If, you know, if you're open to sharing how you deal with it, whether it's physically or if you've gone mm-hmm. to therapy and you're prescribed anything, if you would shed some light into that so that our listeners can know why exactly I'm bringing the Dieter Unrath onto the show.
2: Right. Okay, so um I've had mainly anxiety issues for almost as long as I can remember. I think it got really bad in like sixth or seventh grade and it's it's always been kinda like social anxiety, but it manipulated itself in like any way I can really think of. Uh it's always just kind of been that like you know, that shadow looming over you. Um it can manifest itself physical symptoms, you know, like the tightness of the chest or the shallow breathing or the heart palpitations and all that or just like the running thought systems, you know, you're not even uh you're not present, you're just kinda like thinking about what could go wrong or this person hates you or they're laughing at me, you know. Yada yada yada. Um so yeah, and uh, you know, when you have anxiety for so long it tends to manifest into depression. So once I got out of high school I started to have a lot of depression problems and stuff. And I never really got help for it was kind of I I didn't even realize it was, like, a problem. I thought it was just kind of, like, you know, like a lazy wimp who was just nervous or whatever. But um, towards the end of, like, 2017, my anxiety got so, so bad. Um, I was also coping with it in, like, terrible ways. And I started to experience even more, like, intense mental illness. I started experiencing this thing called... Depersonalization and derealization, which is t- it's a type of dissociation that your brain almost switches on when your anxiety levels are too high, and okay. everybody everybody experiences it at some point in their life. Like if you've ever like given a speech in front of a bunch of people and you almost feel like you autopilot through it, or like when you play a show, a lot of people, you know, it's it's almost like you don't remember playing the show; it just kind of happens.
1: Yeah, first hit, last hit, and all of a sudden you're off the stage.
2: Yeah, or, like, a very common example is, like, you're driving somewhere and you're so lost in thought or whatever that you don't even remember the drive. Those are very, like, day-to-day examples of dissociation. But when it becomes, like, a constant, like, 24-7 thing, that's when it turns into more of a disorder, as they call it. Um, And you you feel... uh, physically detached from your body and detached from your uh, surroundings, it manifests itself in physical symptoms, like your vision gets all fucked up, it's fisheye, and things look just like out of place and stuff, and the best way to describe it is like a sense of unreality, and what it is, it's pretty much just your brain going into sense mode because your anxiety levels are so high, and at this time, I was having panic attack after panic attack after panic attack, I got diagnosed with panic disorder and all this stuff. So I was just having panic attacks and being, like, detached from my world and just all sorts of fucked up um, for a while. And that was about, like, a year and a half ago. And I've been kind of recovering since that low point. Um, And I've learned a lot of ways to cope with it and whatnot. Um, Things like meditation have helped me a lot. I've been on Medication of a couple of different kinds for the past uh, year and a half. I'm on uh, Zoloft right now, 100 milligrams, and I had Zanax Now,
1: were you tests. with medication? Some people with medication, some people are reluctant to take it because you know, yeah. the whole taking the pill uh, and you know, they don't want to become dependable on it. That's some stuff that you hear like people are afraid to start taking that type of medication because it'll be hard to wean themselves off of it. Right. Uh, at the end of the day because, you know, it becomes the norm. That was something me and Justin were talking about. And then there's other people that, you know, they finally take the leap and they realize, you know, this is probably really good for me. So were you a little bit reluctant at first or were you oh, like, yeah. you know, this is what I the was, doctor's orders? So
2: No, I was very reluctant. Um, I got prescribed Lexapro at first, very low dose, and I didn't even touch the bottle for a month because I was just so, like, scared of it. I was scared of the side effects. I do not want to feel like a zombie and all this stuff. Um, and then, a, you know, my panic attacks were getting so bad that I was like, like, fuck, okay, I gotta try this or, like, I'm gonna die because I was getting off a very, like, suicidal because when your anxiety's that bad, it's like every day just, like, sucks. So... Yeah, and like,
1: everything piles on.
2: Yeah. And I wouldn't say that medication wasn't even right for me. Once I started on the Zoloft, a few months later, that one helped a little more. Um, I don't love being on medication. I, mean, I totally understand people's um, hesitation towards it because there there are, like, some negative side effects and it could be expensive and it could be hard to get off of. and there, There's definitely, like, good reasons as to why people are apprehensive about it. But at the same time, I don't think I would be alive if it wasn't for my Zoloft working how it did. Because I went from, you know, thinking about killing myself every single day to being able to deal with those thoughts and start to work on my anxiety. And instead of being so wrapped up in my head, I could start taking, like, actual steps. It's not like a magic pill or anything, but it allowed me to, like, get out of bed and start exercising and start drinking water and start thinking about meditation, you know, instead of just dwelling 24-7. So
1: it, it said, in that aspect. You said start exercising. That was one thing that I've seen on social media that uh, you've started doing recently. And in all honesty, I haven't gone to the gym up until recently for almost two years. Sure. And then after moving to Bowling Green, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. I started finding myself like, you know, I have way too much time on my hands and kind yeah. of getting in my own head with my anxiety and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I decided, you know, I'm getting myself a gym membership. And yeah. for me at least, like it's really helped because endorphins and everything that I get released yeah. while you're working out is an automatic, you know, boost itself. So I was wondering, does it have the same effect for you? Is that kinda of why you've gone into the gym?
2: Yeah, I feel like there's uh multiple benefits to the gym. Not only like like you said, there's like endorphins and like it's physically good for your brain. You know, every time you do cardio or lift your brain gives off like dopamine and whatever good stuff um and it's also just like you know like you were saying you have free time and stuff it's just it's like a good time filler if you commit yourself to go to the gym for a half hour every other day it's like a routine it's something to focus on it's something that you can develop goals with and it kind of uh gives you a different mindset instead of being so wrapped up in your head or whatever now you can think about the gym because It's hard to get started, but like you probably know, like once you go like a few times and you get some momentum going, like it gets a lot easier to just like work out and make it a routine.
1: I completely agree. So, um, another thing that I want to get into, you know, with you being a musician but also a photographer, you've done both on the road that I know of, drums and photography. Is there a difference, you know? mentally for yourself mm-hmm. when you're doing either of those quote-unquote jobs? You know, right. Is there more pressure for one? Is there less pressure? Like, How does it di- differentiate for you?
2: Um, so, drubbing-wise, I'd say there's a little more pressure because um, your, your band is out there and you represent your band and you have to perform well or else you're not going to leave a good impression on people. You need to... You know, be friendly and, like, manage things, make sure you get to the right cities. Like, you're kind of in charge of everything that's going on. And when you're touring as a photographer, you're more of, like, the fly on the wall. You're kind of more you still represent the band and stuff, but there's a little less pressure in the fact that you're kind of just there to document and take pictures and help when needed. So, like, if they mess up on stage or something, that's not really your fault or anything. You have less pressure in that aspect. You're so not – directly like the the brand that's being put out there. You you've it, done both as well, right? Uh
1: I haven't. Well I mean technically I've done for photography I did it with uh a weekender with Toyf. But um sure, yeah. oh yeah I haven't done anything extensive but I've done more touring with the musician aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And um you know I, I guess I can agree with that because you know you gotta really be friendly when on the level that I've done the touring and I'm sure you've done the touring, you're kind of the face for everybody, the promoter, the uh, fans, whoever's there at the show, you're engaging people at the levels that I was at to try and get fans and stuff like that. So I could definitely see it being a little bit more pressure in that sense. But I think I do know with the photography, I think I put a little bit more pressure on myself with that than i do than i did with the music not so much with the touring aspect but just in general because like you know in a band i had three other people and if uh if i fucked up which i have before on different bass lines and hit a different note like it, it could be masked in sound and stuff like that or yeah true
2: I, you with it. the
1: artwork I'm, 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 i've been finding myself getting a little bit more nitpickier with that type of stuff you know and like what I put out, like, if, if I'm on 100% with it, some of these photos that I've taken in Nashville, like, I put them out, but I'm on 100% on them because I, I don't know, I'm I'm, hard, I'm becoming a bigger, harder critic on myself with the photography than I ever was with the music, that's for sure.
2: Right, but that's that's a good thing because I feel like that's just a natural, I feel like every photographer just takes their own work, it's like a thing, but I feel like that's, like, the best thing for you because it forces you to, uh, you know, be more creative and try editing differently and try, edit, you know, shooting differently and just like bettering yourself. Because if you're always content with your work, it would just look the same forever and you would never get better. So I always think
1: that's for kind of more, important you know?
2: mindset to have.
1: Always got to strive for more. But um, I guess my next question would be, you know, since, You deal with this stuff on a daily basis like most of my guests do. How is it different different at home than, you know, being in a 16-passenger van? You know, how do you cope with it? Is it rougher on the road being away from loved ones, whether you have, I don't know, if you have a dog or anything like that? You know, for me, like, I'm in Pennsylvania right now with my parents, but... Missing mm. Shelby, missing, missing our our French bulldog, missing the cat. You know, it's weird not having him around, so being on the road for an extensive amount of time away from things that are the norm, would you say yeah. being on the road it's a little bit tougher to deal with, or is it a little bit easier because, you know, there's so much going on seeing new things, you're a little bit more distracted?
2: Yeah. What's what's your dog's <laughs> name? Uh,
1: Our dog, my Shelby's dog, we call him Tootie. his Dude, his nice. his uh, legal name is Rocco on his birth certificate, but we call him Toot like, because uh, he, farts. He, he farts all the time.
2: <laughs> like uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Exactly. <laughs> that was a good show. That
1: yeah, was great, and uh, I think it's coming back. If I'm oh, mistaken. sure. Uh, I th- I saw some something on uh Nickel- not on Nickelodeon, but Nickelodeon advertising on Facebook, and I know there was like a preview on YouTube that I watched and. I Mm. think they might be coming back, but not with, like, the demeanor of what it was. I think it's coming back with a little bit more of a raunchy side, which, you know, looking back at it now, I kind of, I missed it when I was a kid. It was a little bit of a raunchy
2: uh, cartoon. You
1: know, he, he 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 was on the phone working as a telemarketer for, like, a sex toy line.
2: Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of humor you, like, missed as a child. I found that in a lot of, like, old Nickelodeon shows. Like SpongeBob, there's definitely a lot of jokes that just completely went over my head as a kid, and now you watch and you're just like, oh shit, that's funny.
1: <laughs> exactly. But uh, back back to that question: like, yeah. is it, is, is so, it easier uh, on the road or is it a little bit harder?
2: Um, I wouldn't say it's easier or harder. It's just different, I guess. Um, it's definitely the road is so turbulent, especially with like long tours that. You almost don't have time to get, like, physically anxious because you're just going, 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 going. I feel like I dissociate on the road a lot more. Like, I I don't really feel present because things are just happening so fast and you're in a new city every night and it becomes like a routine and everything just kind of blends together. But you're almost too busy to really, like, get depressed and stuff, at least for me. I will say, though, it can get pretty lonely. Uh, It's very tough to maintain relationships. I've had, like, two relationships kind of fall apart because I was touring so much. And stuff like missing your family and missing your dog. Like, I have definitely not seen my dog courage enough uh, this past year because I've been touring so much and all that. So, I feel like... Is your dog
1: named after a cartoon as well?
2: (laughs) Yes, she actually is. Courage the Cowardly Dog. Thought
1: so. Thought so. (laughs) hilarious.
2: (laughs) hilarious. <laughs> Got a bunch That's of cartoon awesome. dogs there.
1: But um, it, would you say, because you've been on all levels with at least the photography, man, like, would you say a tour like the One Broken is Easily Fixed tour that you just did with Capstan mm-hmm. is different than Warp Tour?
2: Um, definitely different. Definitely a lot easier, a lot less hectic. I think Warped Tour is the most insane thing that, like, like, it's the most insane, like, concert uh, that, like, just the way it works. It's just setting up a pretty much a city every day and then tearing it down and then driving eight hours and then doing it again for two months straight. I don't know how I've done it three times. It's just, The whole lifestyle is just so uh, intense and sweaty and busy and just like very draining in a way did it get
1: easier each time or was it
2: um,
1: it depending on what you were going through
2: it got easier in the sense that i knew like uh you know how things worked and stuff i mean the first time i did fourth tour i was it was like my third tour ever so i was so anxious the entire tour i didn't make any friends i would just kind of go take my photos, and then go hang in the tent of the van all day, because I was just so intimidated by, you know, I'm just hanging out with, like, all my favorite bands and fucking Kevin Lyman and all these big names, and I was just so scared and intimidated. I just didn't talk to anybody for, like, the entire tour. And, and Who were you point, out that year with? Uh, that was Carousel Kings. Okay, I right
1: Yeah, next, and then... It, yeah, that was the year with Curzwell uh, up right next to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, they were on the same stage as oh no, that was in twenty seventeen, I think. Oh yeah, it had to
1: be seventeen. It was definitely 17, because yeah. I think I've only did fourteen and seventeen from my job Yeah. Yeah,
2: like Yeah, 'cause we I did it with Carousel Kings on twenty seventeen as well when Courage Milo was on our stage. who we were really fun to watch every day we, we that they kicked out.
1: There's so um, many favorite people.
2: Yeah, yeah, they were super nice. And then the last year, um I did the entire thing with my old band, and I was doing a little bit of everything. I was shooting photos for Sleep line and Capstan. I was working in catering. I was playing drums for Losing Streaks. I was just all over the fucking place. And my social anxiety has definitely improved in the time since the first time I did Blood sort tour of to this year. I definitely made it a lot more friends this time through, but it's definitely socially exhausting and just physically exhausting because of the insane schedule and
1: whatnot? No, you're saying uh, social anxieties and it's socially exhausting, so it kind of got me thinking, you know, I didn't, before Losing Streak, I didn't know you at all, you know, and even how many years I've known you, I would yeah. go on the record saying, I don't know you all that well. Like, we right. know each other, we've known each other for a while, so, you know, growing up, would, how would you what was your upbringing like? And also, like, how how were you in school? Were you one of the outcasts? Were were you socially yeah. awkward, um, shy, shy kid? Or, you know, were you the type of person that like, I was in the realm of in the middle where I was definitely socially awkward and shy, but also outgoing in certain areas? It depended on right. what was happening, you know? And, like, my key thing was, like, back then, at least, basketball. When basketball was happening, I didn't shut up. You know, and I felt like that was my moment to shine. But then, yeah. when you get back into the classroom, and that wasn't phys ed or anything like that, I kind of went back. I, I feel like that. uh Yeah, it just that, kind of that Homer your, gift. that Homer gift, where he disappears into the bush. The Homer Simpson gift. That's what I felt like.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was kind of the same way. I mean, like I had a pretty normal childhood and all of that. Um, I was definitely like one of the quiet kids at school I wasn't like a weirdo but I was just kind of introverted I'd say I had my little group of friends and that was fine but like your basketball analogy is kind of similar to my life even right now like when I go on tour or I'm hanging with music friends or whatever um you know I have I have a decent time and like even though I have a lot of anxiety and I'm like introverted I have like a lot of people I get along with and friends in different cities. I got to see you in Nashville at the last tour. That was really cool at Golf, which was, like, the coolest yeah. venue ever.
1: It's honestly, uh, I've been to a number of venues here in Nashville, and it's my favorite one. It's definitely got the best lighting, too.
2: Yeah, the lighting of of was thick. The room was super clean. And then, like, the green room was literally just the driving range. Like, we, we, awesome. just, we just chilled there and smacked balls, like, all night so you got to, is that place like new
1: I think it's fairly new honestly yeah. I wouldn't know too sure but uh, it's definitely fairly new from the looks of it you know and I've been there since that show and they got rid of the photo pit though they did get rid uh, of the photo
2: pit it, it wasn't much of the bike rack anyway. I should say
1: they yeah, got rid of the I mean, bike rack
2: <laughs> it's very sketchy they didn't even let me shoot in the pit during capstan set because it was uh, like half after three songs and they just didn't understand that I was like their photographer and they just like wouldn't let me in.
1: (laughs) That just answered the question. It is definitely new because, um, I was just there, uh, for dangerous summer in our last night. They started, yeah, they did like a one-off before the state champs tour started. Oh,
2: true. And,
1: um, I walked in with my camera. They said, go ahead and no photo pass because we don't have a guardrail. I'm walking in, and then, like, some security guard came up to me and wanted me to, like, show him my media credentials. I'm like, they told me I don't need it. He's like, no, you need it. You need it. So the fact <laughs> that they, the they don't communicate, it's new. It's definitely new since yeah, they communicate you communicate
2: that stuff. You could tell. And, like, when I was arguing with the guy trying to, like, go on the photo pay, he was just like, no, that's just what they told me. I'm sorry. That's what they told me. <laughs> I it's, it's but, cool, yeah. though. The place is really nice, though.
1: But you, so, you, you were saying my basketball analogy was kind of yeah, so with, like, you, with
2: you right now yeah so I have like I have like friends all over the country now because of touring and like you know I love all the bands I tour with and all day and I, I definitely feel like in my own and more comfortable when I'm on the road but when I go back to college like where I'm right now it's just a different group of people you know it's just not not the not the type of people I'm used to hanging out with there's nothing wrong with them but. I just don't vibe with them as well so I go back to being like the quiet kid in class again you know and I'm
3: yeah.
2: I'm, I'm 25 in college and I'm, and I'm still like the quiet kid in class I was in 7th grade so it's, it's kind of funny but uh, you don't overthink it as much when you're older and, and in college you know and when, when you're in high school and middle school there's more like social clout at stake at stake and you're, you're worried about you know people think I'm a quiet weirdo and um, and all that but now in college you just kind of go in and do your thing and leave you know it's different.
1: Yeah, that was my always my biggest thing i think socially with my anxieties is what are these people going to think of me whether it was yeah. like music or the sports or just in general when i talk like what are, what? are how am i being perceived you know and mm-hmm. i'm turning 30 in three weeks now holy shit and uh yeah. you know I was back at high school and like I said to you, I kind of was that person same as middle school where actually high school is a little bit more reserved. Middle school is a little bit more outgoing, but in high school the people that I was friends with, very outgoing with, I picked and choose who I was comfortable with vibes with and talked to them. But then like I sat there and I thought about like everybody else in my school. I only went to school with a total of 399 people in the whole entire high school.
3: So like yeah, everybody knew everybody.
1: Time. And everybody knew everybody. And I was just like, I wonder how I was perceived by my other classmates, but then also the other classes as well. Because like mm-hmm. I didn't talk to people all there in my friend group. And like long story short, like now uh one of my best friends from high school, John, is engaged to this girl, Liz, who was maybe three years younger than us in the high school. And mm-hmm. in all honesty, I don't remember her all that much from our high school days or anything, but she sat there and she was talking to Shelby when we were all hanging out telling her, like, yeah, Kevin was one of the cool kids in high Uh, school. Like, I always looked up, like, my class was always looking at him like that, blah, 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 and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I
2: was
1: (laughs) was like, what are you talking about? Because I didn't, I don't perceive, I didn't perceive my high school tenure as that whatsoever, you know? So it's weird how, like, how you feel you're being perceived. Your social anxiety is kind of put something in your head, like this is how I have to be being perceived, and you get hard on yourself, and then years later right. you find out, like, some of these people were looking at you like you were one of the cool kids.
2: Right, yeah, yeah. That's what anxiety does. It, you know, it assumes the worst. Like, you know, everybody thinks you're a loser or, like, weird or quiet or whatever, but, like, you don't really know what other people's perspectives of you are, and every everybody you meet has a different... Um deal with you, and I think one of the goals to you know conquering that anxiety is learning to accept that maybe some people do think that like you're weird or they don't like you or whatever, but like accepting that and being okay with that and just focusing on the people who do fuck with you, you know, and that's obviously easier said than done but
1: uh, exactly yeah so pretty much you do have to learn not to give a fuck because you know you make those perceptions in your own head of how you're being perceived by people and in all honesty you like my photography you're your own biggest critic you know what yeah. i was being, perceiving myself uh isn't going to be 100 percent true to everybody you know even though wiz might have thought i was cool in high school. And, not everybody in her class might have thought that, but at least there was some people in there that thought that of me, and I never would have thought that, you know? Yeah. And, and it never really either. mattered to me to be a cool kid either, though.
2: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, like it doesn't really matter. Like, none of it matters. You just got to, you know, as long as you're doing what makes you happy and you're not being a dick to anybody, then, like, it doesn't really matter what people think of you. And, and you know, it, it, like, it... it uh, Totally with that. but yeah yeah
1: never mind <laughs> so it's, it's all good but uh the one thing i definitely wanted to dive in with into it with you a little bit um just for my own knowledge you know there was there was years man where you went musicless you know and uh, i don't know if it was necessarily musicless you were playing drums on your own doing some cover for, comfort videos yeah, but not, and whatnot, not, you know yeah, not to, exactly um yeah you know a lot of these guests uh that i've had so far i've said to them what was your aha moment knowing uh that you wanted to do music with the rest of your life and music was a part of you so i guess my real question to you is going to be what was your aha moment with uh Wanting to get back into music and get yourself back into gloom, you know, because for years I was asking, when the hell is it going to happen, man?
2: And, you know, yeah, finally, well, yeah. lo and
1: behold, you get yourself into a band uh, that is awesome, to say the least. And, Thank um, you. like, it's 100% the sound that I love. I'm sitting here wearing a citizen hoodie, and I could say that you guys have a very comparable sound to that. So,
2: yeah, they're one of my you.
1: favorite bands. So, you guys are. Right up there with it, with your sound.
2: yeah, okay, that's awesome. Thank you, dude. Um, yeah, the uh, thing is, I, I didn't feel like I ever really, like, left music in that time. I wasn't in a band, per se, because I was doing so much photography and touring off that. So I still felt involved in the scene. And for me, just, like, being involved in the scene in one way or another is what really matters to me, whether I'm playing music or shooting photos or selling merch or whatever because I I just love the scene and the people and the music. So regardless of what I'm doing, as long as I'm involved, that's that's all I really care about. But um, when it it came to like joining Gloom in that, I think it was like almost two years, a little over two years from when I left Losing Streak to when I joined Gloom, I probably got Maybe thirty or forty like offers to join bands because of,
1: like I'll probably send ex- you about ten of them.
2: was <laughs> like, e- yeah, yeah. You you definitely like asked me a few times, because like everyone, ask, yeah.
1: needs,
2: or ever- everyone needs a drummer, but like,
1: um, everybody needs a good drummer. That's what yeah, it is.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's very few. Like, I mean, I'm not I'm not like a great drummer, but like i I feel like i I hold it down, you
1: know I, no, you're a great drummer, I hold my own. don't yeah. tell yourself short, you're a great drummer, oh, thanks. <laughs> <Thank you.
2: laughs> but uh just it just the timing never seemed right, and or I was busy touring off my photography like twenty seventeen i was just i was touring all summer I was doing a warp tour, I was with sleep on it, I was say say so it just didn't really seem right, and then um and i- I wanted to be in a band whose sound I like felt really like attached to and people I was like super tight with and um when it came around that like gloom was in need of a drummer and they showed me their demos and I've known all those guys for probably five years now from playing shows together and all of that. So they were already like very good friends and it kinda just seemed right. You know, we all they're just they were just genuinely like so long, best friends to begin with, and it just kind of just kind of happens real quick, you know. And I'm I'm glad because I really like the music we just put out and my bandmates and all that. So yeah.
1: Now between the photography and the music, when it comes to uh, mental health and I guess both as an outlet, uh, mm-hmm. which one which one do you yourself find a little bit more rewarding? Or are they comparable, the same? You know, what? Yeah. You know, um, what, it, it, does it affect you differently, too? Like, you know, getting behind a drum kit rather than, you know, sitting there editing a photo set and really enjoying and liking what what work you got out of it?
2: Right. I definitely feel like photography does more for mental health long term. Um, I'm always thinking about my photos or my art in one way or another. Editing is a very calming experience. You know, if I'm in my head all day and I shoot some new photos and import them and edit, I can get lost in Lightroom for three hours and just forget about all I was worried about and just get immersed in the curves and stuff. I'm sure, as you know, it can get, like, kind of addicting. Yes. Kind of like the whole creative process is a lot more it can be frustrating because as we were talking about before about the anxiety of hating your own work and all that, but it's still overall more like relaxing process. And it, it definitely takes up more of my time than playing live just because I'm touring off my photos so much. Um, yeah. but playing, playing live is so much more of a in the moment, like aggressive release because gloom's, gloom's kind of a heavy band, but like I, I definitely go very hard when I play my drums. Like, I hit them very hard. I try and bring a lot of stage presence. And I feel like any, like, anxieties or frustrations or whatever I, I have building up, I can release when I play live. And I just kind of just go mental for, like, a half hour. And it's definitely more of a quick, like, very intense uh, release as compared to yeah. photography.
1: Would you, I've had other guests agree with my comparison, would you compare it to a drug almost,
2: performing,
1: um, performing live?
2: Kind of, like, I don't know if i compare it to a drug, but you definitely kind of turn into, like, a different person. Like, like I was uh, mentioning before, like, the dissociation, you know, when when you're yeah. playing live, you kind of just, you go on autopilot, but not in like a bad personal way, just in a, you, you get so immersed in the music and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about and the stage presence in the crowd and stuff that you just, you just fucking rip it for 30 minutes and it just kind of happens, you know?
1: Yeah, it's uh, honestly, whenever I played shows, it was always, uh go hard, look, like make sure you're looking good. That's one thing that Intercorey uh, started striving on towards the end of our careers was you know Mm -hmm. how did we look on stage we focused like on looking at our live show watching recordings but with the sound Mm -hmm. off because some guy that we worked with Paul Sally was like watch your show with the sound off and tell tell me how quickly you get bored of it and and that was honestly one of the best things that I think somebody ever did for us as a band was tell us to do that because we were like you know what all right you know there is a i guess uh visual appeal to live shows not just with stage presence how hard somebody's going but also like in a photography sense you know depth and stuff like that where like if gina's up gina was up front the two guitarists and the guitarist and the bass back but in the chorus when it's like an upbeat part everybody up on front of the stage, so you're in the face, back in the verses, yeah. the lead singer take the stage during that, you know, and it mm-hmm. just makes you the know, eyes move, in and it makes it a little bit more appealing. So, you know, mm-hmm. when we started playing live shows, and we had that that whole mentality of putting on a show, almost, like, I would say every single set, once it became the next to last song, I'm like, oh, shit, we only have one song left, you know?
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> It just flies by, and, it like, it's a performance. Like, it's not just playing your instrument, right? It's all that stuff you just said, you know, um, you know where you are on stage, and now you're moving and coordinating with each other. And the thing about it is when you're playing live, it's not like you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, i got to move my finger to this fret and strum this straight. Now i got to walk to this part of the stage. It's like it's not like that. It just happens, dude, the whole
1: muscle playing memory. live.
2: Yeah, it's muscle memory and just feeling it. You know, when I when I play drums, I'm just kind of feeling the intensity of the songs and the show and the energy. I'm not, you know, overanalyzing every snare hit or whatever. It's just like a, a vibe. You just get in like a groove. No, yeah. this
1: is all actually awesome to have you on the show cuz you're the second drummer that I'm interviewing. Yeah, for uh, you know, Justin and I know he kicks himself sometimes Justin with you know, not playing parts exactly right or anything like that, you know, it's a little bit different than what he's recorded. Do you kick yourself with stuff like that? Or do you kinda take the route like I've like I said to Justin on the show, I said, dude, if I was you, don't be kicking yourself. Ninety percent of the people aren't really gonna recognize it. The people that you or the people that listen to you religiously, like me, yeah, I've realized that maybe you missed a hit here or there, but you know, in my, also my like my mentality for a live show, it shouldn't be like the record. You know, and if I see you on a Monday and I see you on a Friday, I kind of want the show to be a little bit different, you know. So I, yeah, guess, um, I can, do you kick yourself it, or do you just play and go for it?
2: No, I, I agree with like, what you said. I feel like every show should be like a unique experience. And I definitely used to kick myself a lot more back when I was, like, first starting to play shows and then losing streak and stuff, and I was doing stuff like, I was, like, playing to a click, and if I didn't play something exactly right, I'd overthink it, and I'd be like, you know, we'd talk after the set, and be like, ah, I fucked up that fill, and everybody would be like, yeah, we didn't even know this, I'd, but I'd still be, like, overthinking it, but, like, now, you know, like I was saying before, I just get so into the set and into the music and stuff that, like, even if I do fuck up a hit or something, I just keep on rolling, because... It it doesn't matter, and, like, people aren't going to notice it if you're having enough fun and bringing enough energy to stage anyway, because it's it's not about playing the songs perfectly. Like, you obviously should be playing well and be tight and all that, but it's not about being 100% perfect. It's just about putting on a a good show and bringing that energy. But that's a – it is, like, a difficult mindset to transition to because it is easy to, like, beat yourself up over, like, a funky set.
1: Yeah. And uh, I, I agree sure with that. Been there oh, I've been there. Oh, I definitely have been there. And like you said it's kinda of when you first start out and everything and uh yeah. and messing up here and there, knowing that I hear it, but like nobody else will notice it, but you know, you go back and you rewatch if somebody's recorded it and that's the first thing that you hear each time. <laughs>
3: like, yeah, uh, there's you, that you're just that sour over note. And over and you know? over
1: and so it's yeah. like but like after a while, just as I learned more about what a live show should be and everything like that, like it, that went quickly out of the wayside, like, to the wayside, and then I started to not care, you know, because also with my instrument, the bass, it's not the most prevalent thing unless you're playing punk music, you know. You're kind of in sure. the background, so like...
2: Yeah, you're just setting a foundation,
1: you know. Something. Exactly. I mean, I'm not saying basses aren't important because... I would like to think I'm important but uh <laughs> you're literally you're literally kind of the spine of it. You, you you sit there and you're playing the root notes and then everybody kind of builds off of you and then I kind of with Jason at least we had a great chemistry where once I, I was playing straight licks and whatnot, he he'd come in and I start following him, you know, and that'll bring a nice mm-hmm. dynamic to our rhythm section. hmm
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it's just, like, a, a feel thing, and when you do mess up, nobody, nobody's going to notice, the the only person who's going to notice is, like, the person who sees your set every day, like, on a tour, like, when, I, when I'm on tour with Cast dance, and I'll hear Scott, like, miss, like, every, even the touring bands, you know, these that are playing, like, those thousand Cap rooms, they mess up, too, like, everybody messes up live, and, like, Scott will, like, miss a hit or something and I'll just look at him and smile and he'll smile back and shake his head and just brush it off and you know he's an, awesome.
1: a, he's an awesome drummer too like,
2: got he's an a, incredible
1: he's an awesome drummer and I remember Warped Tour forget which date it was but there was one other photographer around by me and the, he was freaking out at the fact that he holds his sticks in a classical way and yeah he, you know and but they're such a heavy band
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not uh, very common in the metal scene. I think the only other band I can think of that has a classically trained drummer is uh, On Earth, but okay. but he's he you know he makes it work and he he definitely adds. Captain's already an interesting enough band, you know. You can't even like pin a genre on them. Yeah, and just just to have like a drummer who plays that way too is <laughs> just makes it all that more fun. <laughs>
1: Definitely. Now, uh, earlier in the podcast, uh, I mentioned that, like, I've seen you be very open on at least Twitter about your mental health and everything like that. Um, yeah. And that, be, and that being said, and like, with social media and society, we have this, all these stigmas uh, being portrayed. You know, I've said it several times in my podcast recording because it's the easiest way to put it. Um, with at least my male guests, you know, as it is, has that song, Boys Don't Cry. That's a, That really is a stigma, you know, mm-hmm. like that we grew up on. Um, has social media and society kind of played a role with how much you've opened up about it? Um, is there a reason why I would say more recently you're a little bit more open with what you're going through and voicing it and everything like that. So like mm-hmm. how, how do, how do those stigmas, how have they affected you in the past and like how they affect you now? And right. how do you think, how do you um, think we can break them? You know, other than what I'm saying on this podcast, you know, the first step I think of breaking the stigmas is talking about this stuff and these issues, you know? So how, how do you think we can move forward as a society too uh, in a positive manner?
2: Yeah. Um, it's tricky. I, for some reason, personally, I just never really felt that stigma. I, I feel like I've always been like an emotional guy and not like afraid to express that. I don't. I've never really felt. I think like my parents have always been very like considerate and kind, and they you know they didn't really drive that manly man mentality into me or whatever. Um, and I feel like sharing my struggles is just it's almost like a coping mechanism for myself like I just like talking about it for myself more than anything because it just kind of puts it out there and kind of speaks it into existence and makes it feel more real than just a bunch of anxieties and thoughts in my head like it kind of it kind of validates to myself like what I'm going through if I and social media just happens to be a uh a good platform for that. It, it, it's a platform for anything you want to talk about, but I just happen to have a lot of mental health problems and want to rant about them a lot. So I just kind of, I don't really think about it a whole lot when I do it. I just kind of, uh, you know, go off and just talk about whatever's in my head. But for a lot of people, it's not that easy. You know, uh, there definitely is a, uh, large stigma about against not not only just mental health problems but just like feeling bad. You know, you, there's like yeah. this expectation that you always have to be positive and every, life always has to be great and especially on like Instagram and Facebook and stuff. You always gotta put this positive happy persona on or else people are not going to want to fuck with you because they think you're a downer or, or they're not going to want to work with you because they think you're mental or stuff and it's kind of like the norm that everybody and this isn't just a social media thing this is just like a like a life thing you know in school at work or whatever like are you okay everyone's like yeah i'm fine when you know nobody's fine everyone's fucked up to some extent everyone has anxieties nobody's completely happy and if they say yeah, they are they're, I, I could, they're
1: lying. Yeah. I, I could tell you exactly what you just said, they're lying. I could tell you i probably lied to so many people when they sit there and they say, How's it going? And nine times out of ten my uh response is, you know, can't can't complain.
2: Yeah, it's it's not even <laughs> like a genuine I could complain. I could complain. <laughs> oh yeah. And everybody could complain. It's not it's not really a genuine question. It's it's almost like a, a hello greeting. Yeah. Um, but but that also ties into, like, anxiety and depression. Like, if somebody asks how you're going and you're feeling shitty, you don't want to burden them, them with, like, you know, crappy, like, bad attitude or, you know, whatever whatever the thing yeah. that says in exactly. your, uh, your, your mood is. So, ex- exactly.
1: Um, and you sit there and somebody asks you how you're doing and you actually say I started ranting about how I was doing and what I was going through. and uh, That person might have that look at you like, yeah, I just asked you simply like how you doing, not for your life story type of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, at least that's what like you know your anxiety tells you will happen, and I'm sure yeah. there are like you know people who if you started ranting them and them out of nowhere, they'd be like, all right, chill out, dude. But at the same time, like I feel like I feel like people are like pretty uh, accepting of each other's feelings, whether they because I feel like everyone goes through. Shit, you know, so, every, mm-hmm. everyone has some sort of trouble or anxiety or you know sad thing or life circumstance that they're hiding or not talking about openly. Whether it's a mm-hmm. mental illness or just a, you know just a life circumstance. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like everyone's just kind of like hiding shit, but not really judging people on it, but having anxiety that they will be judged. Does that make any sense?
1: It uh, definitely does, you know, and it definitely, I think, stems from society and social media and, like you said, Instagram, kind of painting this persona of, you know, I'm, I'm having a great day, I'm always happy, this is that, you know, this is my profile, let me make sure everything looks chipper Great on here, you know, even if I'm having a bad day, you know what, here's 10 seconds of my life. Awesome. I got a wah coffee in my hand. I'm smiling. Yeah, You know, yeah, exactly. and, you know, everybody, it's weird to see where the world has gone with social media because I kind of was at the age of the forefront of it when dial up started, when AOL first became a thing. You know, that's when I first, my family first got a computer and the. In well, yeah. front being you know, on AOL and in chat rooms to MySpace and then you know, yeah. I, think, I think MySpace was like the biggest thing to to really start that whole mental thing of how am I gonna be perceived online even though I didn't think of it that way but you know, looking back yeah. at it that's definitely what it was. You know, let me get them all the people with the MySpace angles of their pictures instead of like, you know, let me let me show what I really look like and then uh, personally putting decorating your profile, the certain colors you want, what song you put on there, and, you know, how many yeah, times I, I changed that song because I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want people to be thinking, like, oh, I'm crazy if I'm sitting there and I have Bleeds No More by Silverstein as my profile.
2: Um, right, or or you want to, <laughs> like, put on a hit new song so people think you're cool or, you know, I, th- I think yeah. the invention of the like really, um, Fucked up the digital world too. Once once you got that uh, that little simple form of validation, it's it's like a drug to yeah. people, and they
3: just
2: they just uh, you know they'll do anything for. it And I I feel like social media is also just like a representation of like normal life because like every everyone's posting like their their best face on social media, but when you really think about it, like that's just kind of how it's always been in reality as well you know In when you're in class and you're sitting next to somebody they could be having the worst day of their life but you know they're just in class trying to keep their shit together and smiling when the teacher calls on them and uh, just trying you know every, everyone's hiding something in person and on social media and social media definitely makes that more apparent in public but I feel like it's always been a thing you know people are always hiding something in in real life
1: too Uh, definitely and I'm honestly you know like I said with the stigmas and everything I think the most important thing is to just talk about it and try and break those boundaries because in all honesty when it comes down to it if uh, my life goes according to plan and I have a family eventually one day I'm scared to see what world they're going to be growing up in you know because we sat here and we talked about like middle school and high school and you know, at least in middle school, I would say for me, like, you're kind of worrying about the perceptions of the people and just the people that are around you. Whereas nowadays, and even later on, if I have a family, you know, what is social media going to be like? What is the digital world going to be like? And the world we live in today is you're worried about the way you're being perceived by people in person, but also how you're being perceived online, honestly, you know? And and that added pressure. I really feel like that could play with somebody's anxiety big time and shape them as an individual.
2: I feel like it'll be tough to tell how things like social media will affect, like, the next generation of kids for, you know, because when we were in, you know, fifth, sixth grade, there wasn't social media. Maybe MySpace just started, but, you know, the whole culture was not like it is today. Um, people were just, you know, it was just more normal, but uh, now fifth and sixth graders have Instagrams and Facebook and have all that added pressure of presenting themselves and, you know, seeming cool or whatever, and it'll be interesting to see how in five or ten years, you know, how, how that generation of kids are mentally or, you know, will they have worse anxiety, will they, uh, you know, be more depressed or have more pres- social yeah, pressure
1: de- and that aspect. Yeah, definitely because, like, you know, you worry back when we were kids, you had bullying in school, and you go home, you got away from it, you know, whereas I feel like kids, yeah,
2: no, nowadays, now you like can't you said, it. If they, yeah, it, it, they
1: get, they get cyberbullying once they go home, too. You know? Yeah. So, honestly, I really feel like it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
2: Although, I will say, I feel like the whole... I mean, I I don't – I'm not in fifth grade anymore, and I don't know many fifth graders, so I can't say for sure. But I feel like the culture around, like, bullying and cyberbullying and all that has changed a lot in the past ten years. I, You know, I, for, at least from what I've, like, heard, I don't think it's as much of – not as prevalent anymore. Yeah. Um, I got bullied a lot <laughs> in middle school and shit, but that was just, like, how it is, you know? Yeah. Is, even in high school and stuff.
1: Um, exactly. And you, you look back at life as you get older, too, and you it's funny sometimes how things work out. I forget where I heard it from, but it was like you go back to a 10-year reunion and the quote-unquote loser of the class is the one that's making the most money and he's married or she's married <laughs> a uh, 10 out of 10, you know. And then the one that was the jock and popular one, one is the one that's sitting at the bar on a Monday night with no one <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, none of none of that high school or middle school social class, like we were talking before, like, none of that really matters, it's just, and it's just like a, I, I mean, I don't know the science behind bullying and all that, but, you know, it sounds like an insecure type of thing. Yeah,
1: you know, something to make insecure. them feel better in the moment because they're putting somebody else down. So yeah, yeah you're, you get put down, and that probably makes them feel better about what they're feeling bad about.
2: Yeah, exactly, it's, I feel like there's definitely some sort of uh, insecurity or something that's being coped with through bullying. Again, I don't know the science behind it, but
1: so talking like, about that and like growing up Peter, with like being bullied and everything like that. But uh, obviously you're in music and you're in in it deep, whether it's drumming or photography. So what were some of the, first bands that really got you into it, you know, like what band yeah. you latch on to, you know, because the way I really got into music was in those moments where, whether I was bullied or I was feeling upset or something like that, you know, going through a breakup in early in high school, stuff like that. What were the first bands that like, on? you watched on to and started influence you and kind of shape you as a person, but also your musical career?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was, I I didn't really get into music, like, in general until maybe, like, fourth or fifth grade. Um, But the first CDs I got were uh, a Green Day CD, a Yellow Card CD, and a Good Charlotte CD. And I don't really even remember how it happened, but I just remember for some reason just, like, feeling something towards that music. And just, like, I just liked how it was aggressive and loud and, like, a little bit angry, but not that pissed off but and that's that's around the time my anxiety was starting too and it was I guess the only music that really made me feel something I don't know why it's like cheesy as that sounds but it it was just like fun and energetic and yeah It it just kind of you know then I started listening to Fall Out Boy and uh it just kind of you know you know the snowball starts rolling from there especially yep. with uh, the invention of MySpace and all that.
1: So, exactly. I wish I mean, there was a music platform like MySpace again, but there's not.
2: Yeah, R.I.P. I guess YouTube would be the closest thing, but it's not even, like, social media-based. So
1: yeah, just MySpace was so brilliant for bands to get discovered and just people finding new bands, you know, because they had those charts, whether you wanted to search alternatives, ska, punk, no matter what it is. So they'd have, like, a yeah. hard move top 100 and then uh you know say that i searched top emo bands and like whoever the top emo major signed label band is um that number one in that same row could be gloom and jay right there under un- unsigned you know and it really helped those yeah was, people start getting discovered
2: yeah it was huge and you, you click on a band's page and all their music is there stream, all their tour dates are there uh the events uh part of my space really helped me get into, like, my local scene, too. Like, I went to my first local show in eighth grade, and Mm -hmm. you could just type, I remember you could, I don't remember exactly how it worked, but you could just type in, like, uh, events within 10 miles of my town, and, like, all these local shows would pop up, and I would just go to them, like, every other weekend or something. I was, like, fucking 13, but that's how I really got into, like, the local scene and playing in bands and stuff too. and that was huge and that was like all thanks to MySpace
1: <laughs> uh, for sure now um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because we've been at it a little bit under an hour That's um, true. That's, I want to uh, kind of oh, exactly and uh, I kind of want to end it the same way I've ended it with uh, everybody else you know I just asked you how you how like what bands were the first ones that you latched on to um, I would say what band in general? What one band would you say is the most influential on you as a whole? Not what got you into music, you know. What has, What band is like that go-to band for you? And maybe what's that go-to song? You know, anytime that you're feeling down, you know, what is that that go-to? Because I'm uh, I'm gonna end every show usually with this type of question because then I'm gonna send that song to the listeners. You know, we're going to sure. close out the episode with that song and everything. So, like, what is that song for you? And, or what is
2: that band? Well, as, like, cheesy as it is, I'd say Fall Out Boy has always been that band for me. They were the okay. first band I fell in love with. And they were the first big band I saw live. I fell them at Madison Square Garden in 2007. And although I'm not, like, a huge fan of their last few records, um, From Under the Cork Tree was probably the fourth CD I ever bought, and like, I, I still jam it in my car to the day, like, you know, you know, singing everywhere at the top of my lungs and shit. And Sugar We're Going Down is probably that song that, like, I can always go to, and it always, like, puts me in a mood, you
1: know? It's a distraction.
2: As, yeah, as, as many, as typical as that song is, and you know, the, the millions of local bands I've seen butcher it, like, it's, it's, it's the song. Like, that's that's probably my favorite song.
1: <laughs> it is the song, and, like, I don't judge you whatsoever for that because for a full-up boy whatsoever. You know, it's funny that you sit there and you say the first big band that you've seen live and you saw them at Madison Square Garden. Dude, my, my first show ever... Uh, well, my first general admission show. My first show ever was Blink-182 with Newfound Glory at uh, PNC Bank Art Center. My dad took me in eighth grade. Wow. But my, yeah. first, like, my first show that I went to by myself without my parents, and it was a general admission show at a club mm-hmm. venue, uh, uh, This uh, bl- uh, blown away that I got to experience this. So it was the Ocean Avenue tour for Yellow Card right when Ocean Avenue came out. Wow, Acceptance opened, then it was Fall Out Boy, Matchbook Romance, and then Yellow Card. And it was, I would say, probably when I saw them, it was at this venue, Birch Hill, which was in Old Bridge. And um, Fall Out Boy didn't even put out Take This to Your Grave yet. You know, I think it was no, it was, three, was even
2: pre that. I, that's incredible. It was,
1: I think it was three weeks before they released it. And yeah, I like my old... Cool. My current boss um, was an own part owner of Birch Hill, and we've talked about that show because, like, I brought up to him once I found out that he was part owner back in the day. but that was my first show, and we've talked about like he just knew that night this band's exploding based on the merch yeah. sales. Based on the merch sales alone, like they went, they, they went on stage. Everybody was like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" You know, they mm-hmm. open up. I, I still remember this day, and I have a terrible memory, but they opened up with dead on arrival and I think everybody just right then and there latched, absolutely latched to yeah, them and I, like they just they sold a shit ton of merch and I mean yellow card I know did great that night too but like you could tell when you're a second band on a tour package you start you sell that much merch. Yeah. It's a great sign and that's honestly what I said that to buzz at, at the Nashville date, because they they seemed like they did really good on merch, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't attest to how the rest of the tour went, but that is a great sign to whether or not you're really making some headway.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, like, when Fall of Boy was coming out with those songs and stuff, just their energy live and the energy of those songs, like, like I remember the first time I heard a Fall Out Boy song, and I was instantly hooked, and I think everybody was. They just, they blew up so quickly. They went from that to you know, MTV in like a year.
1: Yeah, and you, you think about it, four years isn't that long of a time from when I first saw them at Birch Hill to when you saw them at Madison Square Garden. Four years yeah. is not a long time for a band. It's really I'm sure that, that,
2: that show is like sold out. So that's, that's insane to think about.
1: To be a support band four years prior to selling out the world's most famous arena, probably, yeah. you know? Um, Incredible. But that... That being said, uh, any last things for the listeners on uh, how to keep a positive mental attitude? Any advice?
2: What was that one more time? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I was just saying uh, any any uh, last words for like the listeners on how to keep a positive mental attitude? Any advice on uh, what to do yeah. when feeling low?
2: Um, I mean the best thing I could say is like accept your low feelings. Don't, don't fight them because you, you can't feel good without feeling bad and like it's okay to feel bad and when you start fighting those bad feelings and fighting your anxieties and stuff that's that's when you start to really go down some you know it just it gets, it gets worse especially with anxiety the more you fight it the worse it gets and you numb yourself and stuff so you know like, learn to accept your you know your demons and that's easier said than done and it's going to take a long time and I'm still working on it every single day but take care of yourself and drink water and try and be kind to yourself and uh, yeah that's all I can well, really say. And just just realize like whatever you're feeling is valid and, and it's okay to feel that and it's natural even if it feels like hell just you know
1: it's a normal feeling don't think you're not normal because you're feeling a uh certain type of way
2: yeah Uh, as cliche as it
1: is as cliche as this is okay to not be okay
2: (laughs) yeah no that's like my favorite thing by my favorite organization Half open no matter how fucked up you're feeling whether you're anxious or you're depersonalized or you're hallucinating or you know you have borderline disorder or you're did you know there's There's so many mental illnesses that often just don't get enough uh, attention, but no matter how fucked up you think your mental illness is or how crazy you think you are, you're not alone, and you're not alone by, like, a lot. There's a lot of people going through the same thing that you're going through, and all of you are, you know, strong as fuck for powering through it and doing what you can to accept it and better yourself. Uh, even if it's just little things like taking a shower or drinking a glass of water or making your bed, you know, every little step counts. So. Just,
1: just take a step back for a moment and uh, keep moving forward is the main thing, is to always move forward don't give up.
2: Yep, just try and uh, get to tomorrow, even if it feels impossible, because you'll probably do it.
1: They They say tomorrow gets better, so... I'm always trying to be a believer in that.
2: Yeah, I always, I always hope for that. And peaks and valleys are important to remember too. You know, you're going to have in your recovery, no matter what you're going through, um, you're going to have days where it feels like your world's falling apart and you're going to have days that feel decent. You may not even have good days for a while, but you know, you'll have a, you'll have okay days and, um, you've got to be mindful of that when you're going through the shit. Because when you're going through the shit, it feels like there's 0% hope. Like, you're done. Like, this is me for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm toast. But you got to be mindful of the fact that maybe eight hours ago, you were feeling 65%. <laughs> and that doesn't sound great, but, you know, compared to 2%, it is. So.
1: I agree. Yeah. Well, Dieter, man... I appreciate your time. I appreciate you hopping on here and, uh, you know, leave the people with some follow-up boy for you. So I appreciate it. Thanks for talking to me.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. This this was great. I look forward